Welcome to the Storycraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. Storycraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Thank you, as always, to Dabble for sponsoring us and giving us a home to talk about books and writing and all of the great stuff that we get to chat about here. Join us over at storycraft.cafe where you can find out about our live author events and get notified when they're going to be live on YouTube and you too can come be part of the conversation. And we are live here in the Storycraft Cafe. Today, I am so excited to have my good friend Kyle Mills back on the show with me. This has to be, Kyle, what, your 15th, 16th um, <laughs> trip here? It seems here. like it. How, how long have you been doing it? Uh, uh, 10 years this year. This, yeah, is, so this has been a decade. Yeah, it's, we, we've done this quite a while. Yeah, I, um, I imagine I was pretty close to being on your in your first year. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I think you were definitely in the first one. 100 episodes for sure and uh, we've done over 1500 now so wow uh yeah we've you know it's it's been fun but yeah. uh yeah. You know, we we keep uh, coming back to do more uh kyle has a brand new book this is book 22 is that right in the mitch rap series kyle yes. 22 in the trap series yep my 23rd. and it's your 23rd and it is called code red um i'll tell you what kyle when i first got uh the advance arc from from david at Simon Schuster at Atria. Um, I uh, loved uh, the the first thought was um, when I saw the title Code Red. Uh, I thought back to a few good men um, that movie. And oh yeah, they, me too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And they kept talking about ordering the code red on, and I, I just had a, a chuckle about that. That is not what this book is about, but no, it is a no. thrill ride from page one. Um, before we get started, Kyle, I noticed on Twitter um, a couple of days ago, I think it was, you posted that you uh, were ghost hunting uh, in a haunted tuberculosis hospital. What What is that about? Yeah, there's this, um, I'm a big mountain biker still, and there was a park way up the mountains behind the city I live in, in Spain. And uh, there's this, like in the back country, there's this uh, tuberculosis hospital that's supposed to be haunted. It's a very famous place where people go. I can't remember what the word is, psychotherapia or something. They go to listen to like spooky ghost sounds. I don't know. And I've been looking for this thing forever. I've covered like every road, like back road and trail and I could never find it. And the heat finally broke. And I said, I'm going up there and find this thing. And so I did. I rode around until I found it. Um, but I've been, I've been trying to find that thing for like two years. <laughs> <laughs> did did you encounter anything weird when you I did not no it's a, honestly it's not even a great story it was a really nice hospital during the that, that really cared for people in this beautiful yeah. location and but it later became a barracks in the Spanish Civil War oh wow they had to abandon it so interesting history and uh I love history so I thought I yeah. just really want to find this place and 
Well, it made for a great Twitter post or <laughs> X post, whatever it is these days. And know. an incredible victory. I've been up there in the snow. I've oh, been wow. the, but now I don't know what I would do. I'm like, my lost my purpose in life. <laughs> You're like that dog that, that chases cars. And then, you know, when he finally catches one, yeah, catches when somebody it. stops, it's like his life has no purpose after that. <laughs> You, you know, um, Kyle, it's funny that um, that that just kind of got me thinking the other day that sometimes the the strangest little experiences or occurrences um, kick off the what if game in our mind. And, uh, you know, you never know what you're going to encounter that might stir up a story. Um, do you plan on using uh, a place like that in, in any stories in the future? That, that, did that spark anything for you? Maybe, you know, it's a really spooky setting. I, I, uh, years ago was in, um, Lesotho in Africa and I was driving around and I noticed that the only really permanent buildings there were the morgues because AIDS had hit them really, really hard. And it was saying like mortuary kind of painted on the, on the side of the cinder blocks. And I thought, man, that's really super impactful to think about what it had done to this country. And I was like, I, somehow I got to use that one day. And sure enough, somebody tried to torture Mitch Rapp in a, in a Lesotho morgue at one point, because it was just such a like disturbing image, you know? Yeah. Wow. Um, so, no, maybe, maybe one of my characters, I mean, I can convince Don Bentley to send Mitch Rapp ghost hunt. You know, you know, I, I think um, you, you just need to start dropping those hints to Don. You know, what what if yeah. Mitch goes ghost hunting? You know, that's just like that go for go horror. Go Steve. No, right. Right. Just <laughs> just drive that car straight <laughs> off the cliff. Yeah. Um, w one thing um, that Code Red, uh, one of the kind of main uh, topics or jumping off points is the idea of asymmetrical warfare. Um, what is asymmetrical warfare and um, how did that come to your attention and kind of start percolating to, to drive the plot of this book? Yeah. So in the context of this book, it's, I was thinking about Russia's ability to project power even though they don't have much, you know, with propaganda, bribery, you know, blackmail, all these things that they do around the world to further their interests when, you know, clearly they don't have a very large economy. It's about the size of Texas and, or it was now it's much smaller. Um, and, uh, they don't, their, their military is third rate. So, um, that's what I was interested in. I feel like war it, between major powers or, or war, conventional war now is a losing proposition. There was a time, go back hundreds and hundreds of years, where you that was war's pretty good deal. You get a bunch of land, you could use the resources, you know, enslave the population. You can make money essentially. Now you can't, you know, the cost of war is so high and the benefits are so low. You kind of have to be crazy to get into it. Russia proving that right now. Hopefully China won't prove it in Taiwan. And let's hope so. But asymmetrical warfare, you can kind of win. <clears throat> it's hard to know who's doing, prove who's doing it. So there aren't a lot of repercussions and it's cheap. So I wanted to do something with, with that, but I wanted to find a new 
weapon. You know, it's hard to have Mitch Rapp chasing after people who write mean Facebook posts, right? <laughs> so that was where the idea of Captagon came up, which is actually a real drug. But it, uh, the idea that you, because... <clears throat> You know, the West, America and Europe have pretty bad drug problems that are getting worse, that you could actually engineer a drug to be very destructive. Um, you know, fentanyl is destructive just because it is, but it's, it wasn't designed to be. And you could make it much worse than that. And that would be, to me, that would be something the Russians would do, you know, just because they're... Uh, they kind of just play to make everybody lose. Uh, there's a strange, strange group of people. So that was where, what I came up with. It's an interesting threat. It's a very dire threat. It's totally feasible, uh, particularly the fact Syria has become kind of a narco state. And I wanted to sort of play with that. Yeah. The, the Russian um, component is interesting because, you know, in the late 80s, um, into the nineties when, um, uh, you know, the hunt for red October and all those great Clancy books came out. There were very clear lines, uh, you know, between Russia and, or the USSR and the Western powers. And it was a very clear delineation. And then the wall fell and, you know, Russia kind of unraveled and, you know, and then you had, some different problems, you know, like rogue bombs, you know, and things that are left over from the fall of the Soviet Union. But then, you know, the the 2000s roll around and the Middle East becomes kind of the focal point and Russia's kind of no longer on the radar. Well, sure enough, here we are, you know, the beginning of the 2020s and Russia is back. Um, I've known some Russian people and they are some of the kindest um, family oriented people, just salt of the earth folks that come from a place where their leaders are just generally terrible. Um, what is it about this place that just keeps coming, you know, back up and can, are you getting any feel for what's going on in this yeah. part of the world? I've spent a lot of time because I also wrote um, Red War, which is about years ago, about yeah. them kind of invading Ukraine and the Baltics. Um, but honestly, I had to kind of give the head of Russia a brain tumor like to motivate him because it's right. like exactly what we were talking about before. There's no profit in war anymore. Why would somebody like Vladimir Putin, who has... A reputation of being yeah. a pretty rational and effective leader. By effective, I mean maintaining and growing his own power. Yeah, and, um, and by all accounts, seems to be a smart guy. A smart guy who wants yeah. to be in power. And he right. does something like this and just completely whiffs it. I like. Right. I mean, I feel like maybe he's getting old. His brain's gone a little bit. So yeah, it's an interesting. I think the Russians see themselves as having been down, been downtrodden, been, um, you know, put upon by the Nazis, certainly, but by Europe, looked down on. And they, they really, like, I think, lash out in the most self-destructive way possible. I have no idea. It's like, I think everybody in the world thought that when the wall fell down, Eventually, like Russia would become part of the EU and part of NATO and, right. you know, they'd be a, a great partner. But for some reason, they just have this this need to sort of try to dominate 
and uh, they're not very effective at it. They're just not a very strong country. They they haven't been really ever. Right. Kind of. well, so they make great fodders for novelists. You know, they do. At, yeah. At I mean, God, point. the Clancy novels. I mean, Red War. Right. I mean, that was oh, yeah. the threat of an actual war with the Soviet Union, which is a very different threat than the war with Russia, which wouldn't be too hard to tear through them with, yeah. um, if they didn't have all those nukes left over. But um, now they just seem to want to destroy things for the sake. They just like to break dishes. I, I don't know why it's, it's, it's part of their DNA. And, but it is great because the thing I wrote about was, is a very feasible, it sounds very much like something they would do. And so they just haven't thought about right. it yet. Right. Well, Mitch Rapp is an interesting character to, to put into this, uh, kind of, you know, tempest in a, in a teapot that's, you know, going on with Russia because Mitch is an interesting guy that he kind of doesn't owe anybody anything. And, and, and you, you could argue that, that he's owed a lot, but he, he really is kind of untethered in a lot of ways, except when Damien uh, Losa calls on him, what, what is the, the, draw that that Damien holds over him. Yeah, the problem with Mitch now, I guess good news, bad news, right, is that there was a long time that Mitch was, had, you know, after his wife died, right. didn't have any real connections. That makes yeah. you strong, right? There's nothing anybody can use against you. Right. Now he does, right? He has Claudia and Anna. And a few books ago, Claudia was in danger. You know, people, criminals from her past were coming after her. Right. And the guy who was really the, the impetus of all this, no one could find. He's a cartel leader. He's very good at staying under the radar. The CIA didn't know, DAA, MI6, nobody knew where he was. But Mitch had met this cartel leader named Damien Lhasa, who's probably the most powerful organized criminal in the world. I mean, everything from drugs to arm dealing, like you name it. I mean, he probably has, you know, a bunch of Ford dealerships. I mean, like he, he's into everything. And, you know, he was, Mitch thought that they were going to get her, that, that they could, they had hired somebody that he thought might get by him and, and could kill her. And, his only recourse was to call Damon Lawson and say, do you know where this guy is? And Lawson said, well, yeah, sure I do. But what's in it for me as cartel leader types and organized criminals will say, and he says, and Mitch said, well, I'll owe you. And Lawson says, that's good enough. Here's his address basically. <laughs> um, but you know, you knew that was going to come to roost. Oh right? yeah. Well, it's, it's Chekhov's it gun, you know, even it, it it didn't come to fruition right away, but we know that if that gun is on the mantle, it's going to be used. It's yeah. exactly right. And so in this one, you know, he, Damien Lassa is basically having business problems. He's having problems with co competing with Syria, which the government is the narcotics dealer moving in on his territory. And he says, well, you know, Mitch Rapp's perfect. He's, good at combat. He's, he can pass as an Arab. He speaks Arabic. He knows the, the 
you know, the, the battlefield there. And uh, he's completely expendable. Somebody shoots him in the head. It doesn't really even work for me. So uh, Mitch has to basically go in as the representative of this cartel to try to make a deal. And he, in the end, he, he discovers that this is much bigger than he thought. It wasn't the Syrians. It's really the Russians behind it. This is not a money-making deal. It's a weapon. So then, right. you know, the CIA, which has said, you know, we're not involved in this at all. You know, um, he has to try to get back to them and say, I think this is something that you'd be interested in and you need to send me some resources to try to deal with it. It was it was a brilliant way to to bring um, this element into the story by by using Damien because, um, you know, Damien's not a great guy, um, you know, but yeah. it's not the typical setup of, you know, this government agency needs to reactivate you. And, you know, it's all gung ho patriotic. It's it's not that at all. I mean, it it uh, kind of becomes that. but the the impetus is uh is a little dirty and i love that about this it was it was a genius way to to kind of bring it all in it's kind of yeah it's funny because you know he really does owe this guy he's basically like mid-traps never in a position where he has to do what somebody tells him to but in this case guy saved his you know claudia's life and right so yeah, there's a point where, you know, Mitch is like, well, where, where's my gun? And Loss is like, oh, guns, you know, that's vulgar, you know, my people, my executives don't carry guns. And so, you know, Mitch is in the $10,000 suit with a half million dollar watch, basically going into Syria unarmed. He's like, you're a negotiator, you know, not a shooter. I have shooters. Right. And, but of course, Everything goes south and he ends up being a shooter again. (laughs) You know, one um, argument that I hear from people sometimes about series characters is that there are no real stakes for a series character because, you know, if you kill Mitch Rapp, there won't be a number 23 for Mitch Mm -hmm. Rapp. And I think people confuse stakes with being able to kill a character like there are other stakes that can happen it's it's kind of the the superman argument you know well when you have an invincible superhero what stakes are there well all of his human family that care about him and you know those those are very real stakes um when when you brought these other characters in for Mitch to rebuild a family and to rebuild these connections. Was that an important part of kind of, you know, making sure there was always going to be tension there for Mitch? Yeah. Something for Mitch to really fight for, you know, yeah. I mean, he's getting older. Fight he's getting for wiser, That's a great way to, to look know. at it. Yeah. Cause now yeah. you dry it, you dial it in, right. What am I doing here? You know, I mean, the, I keep, it's like whack-a-mole, right? Yeah, I, I get this guy down, I get the, the, you know, and, but now it's very personal. Like, who's he doing it for? He's doing it for Claudia and Anna, you know? We're doing it for his guys. It's like being in, the, you know, the military that, you know, sometimes maybe the, you're not thinking about the war, you're just thinking about making sure the guys with you are okay. It comes down to that, right? So, right. And that's where, you know, kind of where he is. I mean, I think about like a, a number of books ago, a guy named Grisha Azarov almost killed Scott Coleman. And Mitch 
was like the sniper and Coleman was being killed by this guy and the amount of just like incredible tension that he felt um, watching his friend die and he couldn't do anything about it. And so these are the stakes, you know, America, everything America stands for, the, for Mitch. It's not like exactly what you say. It's not that he's going to get killed. That's not important. It's, it's right. what is he trying to achieve? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have uh, kind of danced around it, but this is your last uh, novel in the Mitch Rap series. Ten years. Uh, this... It's been a wild ride, huh? It's been amazing. I mean, really, I, I have to say when I signed on, I had pretty low expectations. I thought people might hate me and uh, <laughs> hate the books and, you know, really not want, um, not want it continued, yeah. you know, cause it wasn't Vince and anybody would be kind of a usurper sort of, and that was not ever my intent. Um, I love the series just like everybody, you know, I started as a fan. And so it's been an amazing ride. It's been super fun to have somebody give you, you know, your, your, one of your favorite literary characters and say, Hey, you know, have at it. Right. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's been a real, a real privilege to get to know the fans and, you know, to, you know, to get to decide Mitch's next journey, like his arc. I, I think about his character has changed really significantly yeah. since I've had him and to be able to kind of watch him grow and decide where he was headed has just been an absolute blast, really. Well, the, the world has changed significantly uh, since you took over Mitch, you know, that's uh, the character had to grow and change because the world he inhabited was growing and changing. It's crazy. I mean, you know, I think about the world, you know, it's sort of like BV and AV, like before Vince and after Vince. Yeah. And, and the, exactly what you're saying, the, the amount of change that's gone on. I mean, you know, fundamentally, these were books about Islamic terrorism, right. which is what was happening when Vince wrote these books. And, you know, that's it's sort of like the Soviet Union falling. I mean, it's still a threat, but I wouldn't say it's the forefront at the forefront of everybody's mind. The world's become much more complicated. Yeah, I'm sure Vince wouldn't have thought of really Russia too much as a threat. You know, they were a little bit dormant right. during his time period. So I feel like Vince would have said, well, Clancy did that already. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thrillers have to be current. You know, they have to, you have to feel like, Oh, this could be happening right now when you read them. Yeah. Yeah. So Mitch had to evolve. The books had to evolve. And I tried to do that in a way that, you know, I'm always thinking how would Vince handle, you know, what we're seeing now? Like, what would he write about? How, what would his right. attitudes be toward it? And, um, you know, hopefully I've channeled him, you know, as faithfully as, as I, I've tried to. Well, you said that the thrillers have to be, um, current and they have to be of the time or, or else they don't, 
have the same uh, effect on readers. We're, we're not a little terrified by the possibilities of what could really happen. But the problem is that world events change so fast. Um, and with the Internet and news traveling literally at the speed of light and, you know, we, you can watch uh, you know, on Facebook or Twitter live or on YouTube as citizen journalists, you know, pull out their phone and broadcast what's going on. A, a thing can have happened and been resolved before newspapers can, can get printed. Um, you know, so for a thriller writer who wants to stay current and wants to stay on top of world events, um, not only do you have to be informed about what's going on, but you you have to predict in a way what will still be a threat, what is a minor skirmish that might be resolved before I can get the novel outlined much more written. Um, how do you juggle what is uh, plausible um, without, you know, being old news by the time a novel comes out? <laughs> With great difficulty, really. I mean, the. I mean, I've gotten ahead of it a few times. I mean, certainly I've had to change books. Um, yeah. You know, the the for instance, the last couple of books where you had the the cooks, the president. Um, you know, I had to make significant changes to that after um, January sixth, and um, you know, the, all the talk about the stolen election, everything like that, because that was part of a supposed to be a part of a three book arc about kind of the fall of American democracy, and a little too close it, to home. You know, it felt a little too on the nose, and I don't want to. I write political thrillers, but I don't want to be political. And I was yeah. afraid that people would say, well, you're writing about Donald Trump or you're writing about Hillary Clinton or something like that. I don't, it's its own universe. It doesn't really right. fully exist here. So, um, you don't want to be current without being, you want to be current without being exploitative. Yeah, you know, exactly. And it's, um, I, you know, and you'll notice that books, that my books never have like Republican or Democrat and right. not partisan at all. Um, you know, these well, there's are enough, threats. Well, there's enough awfulness to go around to both parties. Let's be honest. Well, exactly. And a lot of stuff doesn't have anything to do with one party or another. Right. It's a grander threat. So, yeah. Um, hopefully everybody, I don't know if this is true anymore, but hopefully everybody can say, you know, Russia, whatever, trying to pawn off a bunch of really, really dangerous narcotics on the, on the United States is bad. Like both parties think that's bad. Let's hope I'm so. I'm entirely sure that's true. <laughs> right. I'm, that's the world that I've created. Yeah, right. Well, and from coming into a series with trepidation, not knowing how the readers were going to receive you, um, not knowing if the readers were going to want to follow, uh, you know, Mitch on new adventures and growth and all of that. Um, after the first book comes out and people are liking it. No. Okay. This was great. Maybe it's a fluke. Let's, let's try another one. The second book comes out, people are enjoying it and you start building a following um, that people are on board. Well, then 10 years later, I would imagine, I would think, I know I would be, I would have uh, a similar trepidation of wanting to get off this bus because, you know, now I've earned all these people's trust and they're here with me and they're, they're going along with me. Um, 
what was that decision like to to step out? That's hard. I mean, you know, it's kind of <laughs> like the best job in the world. Right. You know, you're leaving it. Um, seems kind of stupid. But, yeah, you know, I, I think... I think there's other things. First of all, there are other things I wanted to explore. I have a character named Fade that I'd written about years ago, and he's never left my mind. I've always wanted to write another book about him, and I've been thinking about that forever. And also, I don't want to get too comfortable, you know, that, that maybe I could start to feel a little road or a little stale. And... I think it's important for this this uh, series to have a new perspective every now once in a while, and yeah. certainly if you can find somebody good, I think that can be a positive. And you know, we found Don Bentley, who's a terrific writer and a huge oh, yeah. fan of the series. And I think his background is different than mine. You know, he's younger than me; he has different perspectives. Um, you know, I think he's going, I think it's after 10 years, maybe it's time to, to see Mitch through a different set of eyes. Well, I, I love Don and, um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of his work and I've gotten to know him over the last few years. And when, when I first heard the news that he was taking over the series, I was like, that's going to be really interesting. Um, it, it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting to see these three, um, kind of eras of, yeah. of Mitch rap and, um, and to see where the character goes. It's, that's going to be fun. Um, I thought I had heard that you were going back to fade, um, as you know, you, I'm trying to remember that second fade book. Um, he, um, he was, assassinated um but maybe not Uh, yeah you know it's funny i wrote that book so fade is about this navy seal who gets screwed over by the government and kind of goes on a bit of a murderous rampage um but he's really funny yeah and philosophical he's he's very quirky yeah he's very quirky guy right likes to drive around an old convertible cadillac playing the go-go's really loud and killing people (laughs) um and uh but he's really likable. Like I always said, I, I, when I started that book, I said, I'm going to make a really likable mass murderer. And <laughs> I pull it out. People love that character. They absolutely like oh, yeah. no character I've ever written before. People responded to that character. And, um, but in my mind, the whole thing was about that. He knew he was going to die at the end of this. Cause he was slowly being paralyzed by this bullet in his back and there was no way out for him. And he was just going to go on this last essentially college bender in which he also killed a lot of people. Um, and <laughs> like, like kill all the people that screwed him over and just have a great time. And eventually somebody just shoot him and, in the end, that's kind of what he, he, he finally gets to the end. Nobody's shot him yet. Can't quite figure that out. But he finally gets to the end and has an opportunity and he lets them do it. And in my mind, that was necessary. That he had to die. Like nobody expected that at the end of that novel. I created this character that we loved and they're like, well, he's not really dead. Is he you know, like, oh, yeah, he's definitely really dead. Never wrote anything else about him. But then I started thinking, 
ah, the more and more I started like thinking about him lying in a coma and how maybe he would have survived and what would he do if he came back. And 10 years, I've been like taking little notes of things. I go for a run and I think about fade. So it was time to, to resurrect him almost literally. He's a little bit like, um, uh, Mitch rap meets, um, uh, John wick, you know, in a weird kind of way that's, you know, there, there's something about the anti-hero that, that, uh, I don't know, just, just scratches and, and a weird itch inside of us. Well, it's, and it's funny. I had this scene in a Mitch rap book where it was right after Coleman got really badly injured and Mike Nash was suggesting replacement, temporary replacements for him to Mitch. And Mitch is just shooting him down left and right. Like he just wants Coleman back. Right. And Nash is like, well, yeah, but he's got like two bro, like lacerated liver. Like, you can't have him back. <laughs> and the first draft I did. So Fade's real name is Salam Al-Fayed. He's a Arab American. Right. And, uh, he says, well, I, you know, I hear Salam Al-Fayed's back. And Mitch said, I'm not going to spend the last two years listening to Go-Go records all over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> and I took it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, what what a wild ride that's going to be. Have you started writing that book yet? Yeah, I have like a long, I have a 20,000 word outline, actually. I can't believe it because nice. I didn't start it that long ago, but it, clearly it's been percolating in the back of my head forever. And um, you know, it's just, it's interesting because he's, he's a guy that has the same skills as Mitch Rapp, but a very different like worldview as Mitch Rapp. You know, more likely to find him like floating around at his pool, you know, downing Xanax with a bottle of tequila than, you know, out doing a trail run. So, um, it's, a uh, but it's kind of an interesting perspective on the world because the world becomes so complicated. Yeah. And he's kind of a philosophical guy deep, deep down and kind of and funny, like he's a really funny guy. Um, his observations of the, of the world are interesting. Like he comes out of a coma. You can think about this. If you came out of a coma today and somebody told you what had happened, you'd be like, ah, you're, just, you're bullshitting me, right? <laughs> no, no. And so he has to listen. So, so let me get this straight. Over the last few years, you know, starts ticking things off. Um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, well, so, uh, you know, the capital was tacked. Nobody knows if they're a boy or a girl. And, you know, it goes on and on and on. <laughs> yeah. Waking up in 2023 would be uh, a bit of a shock, I think. Mm. Um, you, you told me one time, Kyle, that you don't hold your writing process or your writing space as precious that you can you just sit down get the work done and it doesn't doesn't matter what's going on or where you are um now that you're writing outside of mitch rap again um has that affected your writing process you said you've got a twenty thousand word outline um is approaching granted this is a character you've written before mm -hmm. but it's been a little bit um you know did, did you fall into certain writing patterns with mitch rap and now that mitch is off the table and we're back to fade d does that open you up creatively in in any 
new or unusual ways? You know, no, my, my, um, my life is a little chaotic right now. I'm <laughs> my, uh, my house is being renovated. And so I swear I move like once a week to a new temporary housing. So it's kind of lucky. I think a lot of people have their, you know, I have to face North and sit in my lucky chair and type on my lucky typewriter and all that. Right. But, um, I can do whatever. In fact, I, I think I sent a picture around about it once and it was an idea I had for a Mitch Rat book and it was scrawled across the uh, top of the outfeed table for my table saw because I happened to be out in the garage and I just I wrote it in pencil. Oh, wow. um, so do, yeah, it doesn't really much matter to me where I am or what I'm, what I'm doing as long as I have a comfortable chair. Great. Um, the next fade book is, are we looking at next summer? I don't know. You know, I haven't even pursued getting a publisher for it. So, um, I was just, you know, now we've got the release of this book. I, you know, it wasn't that long ago that I finished this book and, uh, you know, before I went to a publisher, I wanted to have some sort of idea where I was going with it. I mean, I had some ideas, but a lot of those ideas were 10 years old and those are not worth much now, you know? <laughs> um, so I had to kind of get a concrete idea of what the plot was going to be in this book. I knew what the overall concept was going to be in the arc and everything for the yeah. series. And I know the character, but what was he going to be battling in this, this first book? And uh, so I figured that out and I've got to kind of get off my butt and, <laughs> you know, do something about it. Well, I can't wait to see where it goes. Code Red Mitch Rap Book 22 will be out September 12th. September right? 12th. Yeah. September 12th. You can pre-order it now on Amazon or go visit your local bookstore. Tell them you're anxiously awaiting the new Mitch Rap book and uh, support local books. But we'll we'll have links to it in the show notes where you can pick it up from Amazon. And the Audible version, Stephen Weber uh, narrated. Yeah, we've changed. Yeah. Like George Gadal is... Um, has left the franchise, which is wow. Wow. He's been around for forever, you know, kind of yeah. became the voice of Mitch Rapp, but, um, Steven Weber's done some amazing stuff though. So I can't wait. I, to, I just listened to, yeah, some stuff, this some nice pieces of it. And it, it sounds great. So oh, I think people are going to be great. Dude, people are going to love it, but it's very weird because it's, um, you know, it's, it's harder than what I did because at least I can work. I mean, I work in the same font as Vince, right? <laughs> but no matter how great yeah. you are, if people hear George in their head. Right. When Mitch talks, it's yeah. like a weird transition. So everybody, you got to, everybody's got to relax and, you know, and enjoy it because it's change, but it's a little, uh, yeah, I mean, you like if your wife's voice suddenly changed, right? You know, it's it's kind of weird, but I think once you listen to it for a little while, he's doing it. He he does just an incredible job. Well, and that will release on release day, I'm sure. Did I? Auto- my assumption is, yeah, that it's yeah. the same day. Yeah. yeah. Code Red Mitch Rap Book Twenty Two out on September twelfth. Go grab it, Kyle. Um. 
tell people where they can find you online if they want to follow along for all the exciting news coming up. Yeah, at Kyle Mills author. And that's, you know, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, you know, the normal, I guess Twitter's X now. Um, and uh, KyleMills.com. Uh, you, you can sign up for my newsletter. I send something out once a month, keep people abreast of what's going on. And email. If you get on my website, you can email me and I read and personally respond to all my emails. Excellent. We'll link up all those places in the show notes to make it easy for folks to find you. Kyle, always a pleasure catching up. We're going to send everyone to pick up their copy of Code Red. And you have a legion of fans out there waiting for what comes next. Yeah, Thanks it's, for taking it's, time. it's nice to know that. Excellent. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk to authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. The StoryCraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool should not be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at dabblewriter.com and start your free trial today. Thanks for listening.